Hello, everyone, and we are back with another Boxing Hipster Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Stephen the Warman Wright. You can find me on tw- the Twitter thing at Stephen the Warman. You can also find me on the Instagreasy at Stephen the Warman. I am joined, as always, by the man himself, the stream master, the boxing hipster in the flesh, but in the voice. Uh, say what's up to the people, Ryan Scalia. Yeah, what's up, people? Find me on Twitter, R-I-A-N-5-C-A. That's about it. So uh, there are very few moments that I can look back on my, you know, combat sports career and uh, not only remember a great fight, you know, uh, but but a significant fight, something that that has more to it than just the the back and forth, the drama, the everything that happens in in a fight and then the significance. For me, already, I feel like I got that from Joshua and Klitschko. I feel like it's already my fight of the year, despite seeing the other fights. You know, it's still a good majority of the year to come. Uh, Just the significance of what was on the line meant something here. But I want to go ahead and explore this thing all the way full. Uh, You know, uh, four rounds of, you know, uh, Joshua getting going. Joshua gets his big moment in the fifth. Uh, Then we get Klitschko to come back in the sixth. Then Klitschko takes on the rounds after that. And then we get the drama of uh, Joshua getting himself back and then coming back in the 11th. But we're going to go ahead and explore this full. Uh, Ryan Scully, let's go ahead and start with weigh-in day. Uh, what was your thoughts when you saw that Anthony Joshua came in 10 pounds bigger than uh, Klitschko? Just, uh, did you think that he was too big? Were you worried at all? Uh, you know, he, he doesn't necessarily fight with, like, a huge pace. He, he fights with volume and spots, but he doesn't really fight with, like, a huge pace. Uh, what was your thoughts weigh-in when you saw that? I mean... I guess when you're that big, you know, your weight really fluctuates quite a bit, like five to 10 pounds per day, even, you know, especially when you're training like a professional fighter. And then obviously you go replenish all the, you know, the depleted stores and stuff like that. But I mean, yeah, it was kind of maybe, you know, raise my eyebrows a bit, Mm -hmm. like, because obviously he's so muscle bound and you know, as we saw, like, he did gas in the fight, you, you know, before he did punch himself out before he got a second wind. And I just think that's something that he's never going to be able to get rid of because he's so muscle bound, you know, For sure. it's uh, it's it's a trade off. You know, you obviously you're probably going to have more power and be stronger. But at the same time, you really got to conserve your energy because, uh all those muscles they have to be fed oxygen so yeah i mean i think with joshua you know it's this is always going to be the case with him um maybe coming in a bit lighter like if if it even matters you know 245 compared to 250 i know for heavyweights that's like nothing but you know maybe he'd be better off doing that in the future but i mean it still still works for him so what did you think when you saw Klitschko's body? Did you think, okay, this guy's uh he is ready to go this time? A lot of people thought, you know, going into it, they they wondered about his not necessarily motivation, but they wondered about, you know, uh the, the different factors that went into the fight with uh Tyson Fury, for example. You know, he's going through a thing where um, you know, the girlfriend was dealing with the, the post uh postpartum depression and he uh just did different things going on in his life. Did you think that when you saw him physically this time that he was gonna be the best version of himself when he came in that much lighter? I mean not significantly lighter, but when he came in lighter, he's always been the bigger guy in, in a lot of his fights. Uh what did you think when you saw Klitschko's buddy? I mean he looked in crazy shape. Yes. 
obviously he looked like he was really up for this and you know he's really motivated but at the same time you know you don't know how you don't know if regardless of how good he looks on the scale you don't know if he's shot or if he's you know father time has caught up with him um just because you know he hadn't fought in 18 months and the fury fight but he definitely proved that you know he hadn't really lost a step at all in in the fight in that you know he does or he did still have it going in let's go ahead and go through one through four one through four uh we get a little bit more volume and spots from joshua i remember after watching round one the first thought i had was okay klitschko can't do that thing he does where he comes out and he just fights with with one hand for three rounds and he finally starts using the right hand in the uh third fourth round uh, i was like he'll get himself too far down especially when you're in you know someone's hometown and that kind of deal whatever uh what was your thoughts with, um, you know, that game plan? And it should be noted, I really like the sneaky one-two that he started off round two and round three with. Klitschko did it. But he still, for the most part, played a very uh, – he's, he's got underrated defense. People don't give him enough credit for it. Uh, how he uses that long paw and how he ties up wide shots with his arms. Uh, he doesn't get credit enough for that, but that doesn't score in the scorecards. I thought that Joshua got a, a good jump rounds one through four. Uh, what was your thoughts as you watched that from home? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. Like, the first bell, Klitschko came out, he actually came out, like, pretty aggressive. Like, um, in terms of, like, he, he took the center of the ring right away, and he's like, no, I'm going to push you back. And But he didn't throw all that much, you know, because mm-hmm. Vlad is very, he's always been very conservative and always likes to punch it, you know, the perfect moment when he knows that he's going to land and he has a set target. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think Joshua probably got the better of the first two rounds, even though there really wasn't much in them. Mm-hmm. Vlad just, Vlad just didn't really, didn't really throw enough, you know, despite coming out, uh, aggressive posture wise, like he did, but I actually think in, can't remember if it was round three or round four, but I think Klitschko actually hurt Joshua with a straight right. And uh, I'm not sure he really realized that he did. I know uh, the British commentary on Sky, they pointed it out. But I haven't watched it on show or HBO, so I'm not sure if they pointed it out. But it was a straight right hand. And Joshua, you know, he looked like he had to take some time to recover. And I don't think Vlad fully realized that he hurt him. So, mm-hmm. But uh, aside from that, you know, Joshua had the better of... The, the first four rounds really I think that round where Vlad landed that right hand I gave it to him and uh, I'm not sure about the other one I do know that Vlad started to creep back into it after two rounds for sure I definitely thought that his volume went up a little bit and, and even if you gave Joshua the rounds uh, like most people did they still didn't feel like he just did that much better he just did better um, I think that um, you are right. Uh, one of the commentaries did notice the, the right hand. The other one didn't. Uh, I think on Showtime they replayed the right hand scoring. Uh, and they said it was a good shot. Not necessarily that it hurt him, but, uh, but it was a good big-time clean score. Um, we go into round five where uh, this is one of those, and I'm actually curious what your scorecard is on it. 
Joshua Lance, you know, some, you know, uh, Lance a big shot in a flurry, uh, builds on it, tries to get him out of there. Right at that period of time, he's thinking this is going to happen like what happens to all the other guys. He starts going bombs away, uh, puts the, you know, the, uh, the old, uh, the long running champion down. Klitschko gets up after, you know, surviving an initial onslaught. All of a sudden, we've got like a minute and ten seconds left, and we can see the the visibly how much were visible or how how deep the breaths were coming from Joshua. He was definitely definitely in trouble. At my point, as soon as I saw that, I was like, "How is he going to get through the next you know six rounds?" And then from that moment on, Klitschko started to take over the rest of round five. Uh, some on the Showtime broadcast made that a nine ten round because they liked how much work came back because he landed a lot. Not just landed a lot, his demeanor, his posture, his confidence, everything was different once he realized the young kid has is, is lost it. He's lost his gas, and he had turned it up. He pushed the pace, uh, pawed out, started ripping the hook around the side, really took that took uh, over the rest of that round. Did you still go 10-8 despite the fact that uh, Klitschko came back, or did you score it a little bit closer? I think, I think 10-9 is good just because Vlad was – really putting it on him for like uh, the last minute of that round and AJ was falling apart so yes. I think you know a 10-9 works if you still want to score a 10-8 it doesn't really bother me for sure especially now that we know how it ends so yeah. <laughs> so we go into round six and as he's done so many times before uh he does a good job of jab jabbing and he'll pull your lead hand out of the way just a little bit and hide the right hand behind it or he paws at you and then all of a sudden you defend the paw hand and he crepes to the right hand behind he's able to score klitschko's able to score his big right hand confidence is there he's coming in for the kill uh joshua's got to make it joshua's got to make it uh he does despite his you know over fatigue he takes the big shots he buys himself some time good blend of movement holding on uh but really it's just he he was long enough and smart enough to keep himself from taking the big shot but it was a huge huge klitschko round at this period of time not knowing how the rest of the fight goes what were you thinking were the chances of joshua winning i i didn't think he was going to come back but as um, as you know, the round went on and Vlad failed to finish him. It was kind of like, you know, Vlad, you got to finish him here. You can't let him off the hook. And Vlad just, you know, being who he is, you know, he's not going to take that next level risk. You know, that's that's just not who he is. So, and by sticking to that mentality, and he felt comfortable doing it. He let. Joshua off the hook and then in uh, like round 7 and 8 he let Joshua recover. Joshua basically spent like all of round 7 recovering pretty much and Vlad pretty much let him get away with it. So yeah definitely I think Vlad should have pressed it more but it's just not who he is. You know it's weird I was thinking that too and I'll go ahead and jump into those rounds. Uh, I still gave Clinch Klitschko those rounds until I want to say round 9. I think round 9 was a 9 where I was like he's back. Like like it, it's just he had spent the time and I remember I think I tweeted out that if I'm their corner, if I'm Klitschko's corner, I am really or excuse me, if I'm Joshua's corner, I'm telling him to take a round off. You know, I'm not telling him to punch, I'm telling him to maybe a jab here and there. But to just keep your hands up and move, hold, move, hold, buy yourself some time. And I do think that Klitschko, by temperament, allowed him to do what he had wanted, wanted to accomplish there. 
Uh, so then we get into rounds 9 and 10, and they are interesting rounds. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on 9? I really did think that Joshua was back in round 9. I thought that he was able to throw a couple of punches and bunches here in some spots. Uh, I thought 10 was interesting because I thought he started off great 10, and then what I felt was like almost the last hurrah of the fight for Klitschko in the last 10 seconds, he'd found like three right hands in a row, like one off of one, two, one off of a counter, but like it just, the complexity had changed. The big shot didn't have the effect that it had before uh, because he had allowed Klitschko to get, or excuse me, he allowed Joshua to get enough back. What was your thoughts on nine and 10? And do you remember how you scored those rounds? I mean, I'm pretty sure nine was for Joshua. I know I gave 10 to Klitschko primarily because of that last 10 seconds where mm-hmm. he landed like three right hands and a few jabs. And you don't want to fight like this where the guys aren't throwing so many punches. You know, those really those really count a lot. So 10th round, it was interesting because he kind of obviously let AJ off the hook and then AJ won the ninth. But then Vlad still had it in him to go win the 10th and kind of boss the last portion of the 10th round. Yeah, it's definitely cracking away with that jab. It was one of the fights where I was like, man, that is a really good jab. <laughs> it just started to come back to me, you know, because it's been so long since we've seen him, you know, because, again, the Fury fight was really a forgettable outing. Uh, but uh, you forget some of the tools that he has, and he really put it together in this one. So we get to round 11, and the the big-time big time round, it starts off right off the jump. A right hand scores immediately. Uh, the Showtime broadcast noticed it some. The HBO broadcast noticed it right away. Uh, Beck Kellerman said, he's hurt. That one's a big shot. They started, he scored, he closed the distance. I, I think uh, Joshua knew that he caught him good, and you can see the, the language change. You know, he dropped his hands, he backed up, he started, you know, Klitschko did things to buy time, and then in a flurry where he threw, again, commit to your flurries, despite someone trying to put their arms out and, and get a hold of you. Uh, shout out to Joshua, who was committed to throwing the uppercut all fight. And finally, he lands a, a one that snapped the head back. And, of course, the crowd all stood up after that point. He gets it down there. Uh, they go up to their feet. Really, the second down, I really thought that was going to be the end of Klitschko because he actually put together a clean series of offensive strikes. There was a, um uppercut hook finish on the end of that second one, uh, that second combo. But Klitschko... Being the old champion, you, he just keeps getting up. You know, when there's a difference, when you watch the lower-level guys, the mid-tier guys, even the upper-level guys, their mentality when they go down, of course it depends on the shot that you take, but those guys are usually, they're going to go back out there no matter what. And uh, I thought, I'm going to go ahead and get your thoughts here, I thought the finish of the fight, they could have let it go a little bit longer because I, I did think that, some of the shots were missed, but if you watch a guy get dropped by a big heavyweight guy like that twice, and you're the ref, I had no problems with him coming in there, but I actually didn't think that that last series of strikes was that, you know, particularly, you know, violent as far as consistent scores goes. What's going through your head as you go through round 11, and then what is your thoughts on the stoppage at the end? Yeah, I mean, Joshua came out really aggressively to start the 11th, and it seemed like he knew that, you know, he needed to seal the deal or just do something big. Um, as for the stoppage, I definitely agree with you. On they probably could have let it go longer just because the final flurry, most of those punches missed. But you know, Vlad was probably not going to last anyway, mm-hmm. and he didn't complain about it. So I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's 
it's all right. You know, it wasn't the ideal moment to stop it, but Vlad was probably done anyway. So we go ahead and we go into the bigger picture. First and foremost, what was your thoughts on 90,000 people packing, you know, packing Wembley to watch a prize fight? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? The crowd, uh, you know, the walkout. What is your thoughts on the production of how this thing went down? And uh, what a star we have in, in, you know, Anthony Joshua. Yeah, I mean, I think Joshua is the biggest star in boxing around the world. And he, he's only going to get a lot, a lot bigger. You know, this was kind of just the beginning. And, I mean, even today, Eddie Hearn's like, uh, no, we can't go back to the 20,000 arena. Joshua's too big for that now. So, you know, Joshua's hit superstar status in the U.K., and there's going to be a lot more occasions like that. I think in, you know, 90,000, it's really impressive, you know. Eddie Heron hasn't even been promoting, like, for that long. and He's already done two uh, Wembley Stadium shows, the first uh, with Frost vs. Groves, too. So, really, really impressive. Now let's talk about the bigger picture. I watch, uh, there are a couple shows here in America that I watch all the time. Uh, one's called Around the Horn and one's called PTI. Pardon the interruption. And basically, oh, yeah. they're a bunch of sports writers. I'm just saying it because we know we've got some audience from, from different parts of the world. Uh, these shows never talk about combat sports at all. They never do it. Every once in a while, they'll mention something like if it's a, like a Ronda Rousey or Conor McGregor, or they talk about how they hate the, you know, the Mayweather-McGregor. That's very seldom. And then all of a sudden, on both of their topic lines, I see the name Joshua. So... Even though they didn't, you know, they, they talked like people who didn't know combat sports starting to talk about combat sports. You know how that is. Uh, someone saying, oh, but Klitschko was 41 years old, having no idea, you know, about who he is and the success that he's had and what a great performance it was. But I thought that something was done really well against with the uh, PTI guys. As Kornheiser said something, he goes, I like big heavyweights throwing punches and I like the idea of having a heavyweight champion of the world. Do you feel that with Joshua, as you said, he's the biggest star in boxing, do you feel that he has that transcendent appeal to go beyond just being the biggest star in England? Do you think that he's a guy who, if he ever did come to America, uh, you know, let's just say uh, Madison Square Garden or something like that, do you think the appeal would remain? Do you think that this is somebody who could be someone to latch on to not just as a you know um the heavyweight champion of the world but as the premier figure in boxing yeah definitely i mean um just based on who he is and how he fights how his fights go um who's promoting him you know eddie hearn one of the best in the business and uh it doesn't you know, it doesn't hurt that he also looks like a superhero. Yes. So I, I definitely think he can. I definitely think they're going to you know, be ex- expanding internationally with his fights. i not sure if he'll fight in the U.S. this year, but maybe the first half of next year. I definitely think he'll fight in the U.S. at some point because Showtime is really seeming to go all in on, you know, the Joshua business, and rightfully so because... You know he's he can he can transcend the the countries. You know he's that type of figure. 
Definitely agree. Just it's cool to just see stuff like Dr. Dre contacting him, you know, on on FaceTime, and it's just the the overall appeal towards this guy is just just amazing. Um, so, do we think that uh, it seems like it's what Klitschko wants? Do they do it again next, or is there another fight before they do it again? No, I think they do it again next. You know, I think uh, there's a lot of money involved, and Klitschko has crazy self belief in himself. And probably saw what he was able to do in this fight, and thinks he can he can win. So I think it'll happen. I mean, there's a stadium in Wales that's like seventy five thousand, and it's the only big stadium like that in the UK that has a roof. And you know, this fight is going to be his next fight is probably not going to be until like October, November, something like that. So seasonally, outdoor stadiums don't really work. So I could see them going to that stadium in Wales, and it'd still be a, a huge show. Let's go ahead and move through the rest of this card. Scott Quigg gets a decision victory over VRL. Simon, um, I'll go ahead and let you run through the card because we got another big one to go through. But I want to make sure I get to some of the undercard bouts. Not all of them, but I'll get to some of them. What are your thoughts on Quigg staying relevant? Yeah, you know, Quigg's defense in this fight was really bad, but he just used his strength and physicality to just outwork Simeon, who, if he had more power, he might have won this fight, but he didn't. You know, just, he's a really, really tough guy, just doesn't have the power to really get past the European title level. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's going to have to shore up his defense for... Know, world title fights. I mean, he's the, the mandatory for Lee Selby, and Selby's like a, a pure boxer, so that's uh, going to be an interesting fight. We move on to Luke Campbell getting a ninth round TKO over Darles Perez. Uh, what are your thoughts on Campbell and the, uh, uh, you know, it's a decent stoppage to have at this level of boxing? Yeah, I don't think he looked uh, that good in the fight, you know. Campbell, he's uh, never really seemed to fully adapt from the amateurs to the pros. You know, he was trained in a very, very amateur style, and uh, he can he can beat a certain level of opposition. But once you get to these world title fights, right now, I mean, I think Linares is all wrong for him. But uh, you know, he's very a very long range fighter. He just he seems to get flustered a bit when he gets hit and when someone can hit him back so I mean he's a he's a good fighter but he's going to have his work cut out for him to win a world title at 135 yeah because there's some talented dudes out there it's a definitely definitely tough weight class with more tough guys coming um I mentioned it before. Uh, it looks like it's a sure thing now Katie Taylor with another impressive victory over Nina Mienke um they said they're going to go world title next. Are you excited to see Katie Taylor, one of the more skilled female fighters on the planet, uh, fight for a world title? And then do they do something big in Ireland for that one? Well, I don't think the world title is going to be until like November or something. and mm-hmm. That'll be in Ireland. I think they're going to have a fight in the States first and then go do the world title fight in Ireland. But yeah, it's going to be a huge occasion over there. Oh, man, I would, I would love that because, you know, I'm a big time. 
everybody's different, you know, and who they like. But like, uh, I, I've been following Katie Taylor for a while, so I'm excited to kind of see the success that she's been having. And um, you know, uh, I'm hoping that you know for her and uh, Shields, and I'm hoping this, you know, uh, Serrano, this next generation of female fighters are able to sustain what was started before. Because if you've been around boxing long enough, once upon a time. They had tried a woman's push before, and they did that without an amateur program. And sometimes women were fighting on TV, and sometimes women were getting main event slots, and it just came and went. Some promoters were behind it, and then they abandoned it as soon as they got behind it. So usually elite women are, are skilled women who are at least good enough to win, like, you know, amateur titles usually end it there. You know, they'll win, you know, uh, New York Golden Gloves or something like that, and then they'll stop. So always excited to see that push continue and we've got the level of athlete to do it go ahead and move to the next big car that's going down this weekend where uh the big time mexican showdown of julio cesar chavez jr as he takes on sal alvarez uh the premier pay-per-view uh you know fighter in the sport i'd say particularly here in the states um chavez seems like he's doing the part with nacho berstein now and nacho's been uh his weight's down. If anything, he's taking this thing serious. He could, he should be the bigger, stronger fighter. Uh, Alvarez is the more skilled guy. But it's not like Chavez Jr. is without skill. That's one thing that I used to be upset with when people were kind of critical of Chavez. They, because he's not his dad, which is tough to do in general. Um, you know, his dad's like the greatest ever, you know, Hispanic fighter ever. But, like, because he's got his dad's name, People were expecting, I think that he was like failed before he'd even tried for a lot of those people. And then when you saw the work ethic and, you know, when he goes in to train and training at his house, sometimes he had done everything in his power, not to mention the time where he said that his corner stopped it in the video camera, caught him, you know, stopping it. <laughs> it, it, it just he's had so many of those run ins. It'd be easy before you saw the video or the footage of him come out. It'd be easy for most people to be like, it's going to be a good fight, but Alvarez is going to win it. But now you see the dedication put in. You see the, the you know the uh, the uh, the body change. What is your thoughts now as you look at this fight? Because I do think that this one's going to be closer than even the people who think it's going to be close. And I also think that there's a really really good shot that Junior could pull off the upset. Despite that, I've got the more skilled boxer, <laughs> the more consistent fighter, Sal Alvarez, winning it. But what are your thoughts as you look at this lead up? Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, Chavez Jr. has gotten himself into the, the shape of his career, really taking this one seriously, but I, I'm not sure that it's going to be enough. You know, the, the gulf in skill is really high, and, uh, you know, Canelo's not a small guy himself, you know. Even at 164.5, you know, he's, he's, not a, he's not a small guy. I mean, if you look at him making like 155 and 154, you know, he was completely sucked out. And he's always been a really, really thick, you know, stocky build. So um, I, I just think Canelo's going to land so many shots on him. And Chavez uh, Jr., not a defensive mastermind. He's going to eat a lot of shots, you know. I think he'll keep coming, but I don't think it's going to be enough. I mean... I think uh, Canelo will probably win a decision. Do you think that this is the kind of 
back-to-back weekend that's, you know, great for the sport just in terms of the eyes that are going to be on it because clearly, really, this is, if we're honest, this is one elite fighter versus one popular name. Uh, but it looks like they're going to, you know, of course, as usual, they're going to sell the thing out and, um, uh, you know, work uh, towards – uh, a really good pay-per-view number. What do you think that this does for the sport of boxing? Uh, it still feels like a huge fight. Yeah, it's great. It's like value versus hey, you know. It doesn't matter the relevance of the fight. You know, it's the the storylines and uh, the you know the name value. And so, at the end of the day, it's going to put you know it's going to do a lot of views and buys and all that. So I think it's it's a positive, you know. And as long as Canelo fights Golovkin next, then all is good. Yeah, I think that you're right. I think that it's it's right place, right time. Of course, it's the you know the the weekend. Of course, has got you know historical significance. Of course, for the Hispanic people, should be a lot of fun. Should be a lot of fun. To see this all Mexican showdown, and I think that it should be enjoyable. Lucas Matisse gets Emmanuel Taylor uh, in this 10-round bout. Again, it it's, plays more of a role of a filler. Man, it just makes you wonder. Once upon a time, Lucas Matisse was considered the man, the guy that everybody was avoiding in the division. And then after Garcia, after Postal, it's just like all of the mystique is like gone, you know. But what are your thoughts on this bout? It should still be a pretty good one. Taylor, I think one and one in his last two. Um, what is your – he's coming off a big KO, if I remember correctly. What is your thoughts on this bout and its its role in boxing? Yeah, Taylor lost a close fight to Antonio Orozco. Um, and then he had kind of two wins over lesser opposition since, I believe. But the thing about Matisse is no one has any idea what he has left. You mm-hmm. know, after uh, the postal fight, he hasn't fought in probably 18 months or something like that so a year and a half so um you know taylor is a good test you know he's a solid fighter you know he's just come up short against broner algeri you know but uh he gave broner a really good fight he gave orozco uh you know really close fight so you know we'll see what level matisse is still at you know taylor's been down and hurt quite a few times so um, maybe Matisse will be able to stop him, um, but you know Taylor might make it tough for him. You know if Matisse is past his best, or maybe he'll be rejuvenated. You know we just don't really know going in. And you are correct. That fight with Matisse uh, and Postal was October third of twenty fifteen. So it has been a while. Um, Joseph Diaz continues his campaign as he goes against Manuel Avila. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? And uh, how do you think that it um, shakes down as far as uh, uh, does the young guy continue to develop? Yeah, I think you got to favor you know JoJo here. Just uh, he has been, he has been looking good as of late. It's just you know he lacks that that uh, knockout power. I mean, he's going to have to be a guy that you know kind of uh, outboxes, outworks, and if he gets stoppages, it's going to be breaking guys down. Um, Avila didn't look good in his last fight. You know that's that's probably why they, you know, they think they can put him in with JoJo here to kind of increase uh, 
Jojo standing. I mean, in Avila's last fight, he just looked like he looked disinterested and uh, like he wasn't up for it. But I, I imagine he'll be up for this one. But neither neither guy here has has like knockout power, you know. So this is most likely going to go the distance, and I think Jojo will get it. David Lemieux goes against Marcus Reyes. He's right back in there. Uh, a short turnaround for him coming off the big KO win uh, about Ben Matriel. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? And clearly, I feel like this is a fight for positioning. You know, like uh, uh, maybe something happens in the main event that gets him the opportunity against one of those guys. But I feel like this is kind of that. That's kind of what his thinking is and being on this card. Uh, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean... You know, Reyes isn't a bad fighter, uh, but it's Dave Lemieux who's probably going to go into the ring and try to punch a hole in him. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. You know, I think sometimes Lemieux is actually a bit underrated. You know, a lot of people hold that that Rubio and Alcine loss against him. And, you know, Dave Lemieux is a different fighter than he was back then you know mm-hmm. he's he's been a pro since he was 18 and he's still only like 27 or 28 and he's he's gotten a lot better and uh you know he's got stamina to punch for 12 rounds so i think david lemieux is gonna roll here you know maybe race will put up a bit of a fight like he did against chavez jr but ultimately race doesn't have the power to really bother lemieux so i think uh, it's it's going to be all systems go for Lemieux. Any other fight in that card you want to talk about before we move on? Um, I mean, there's the debut of Raul Curiel from Mexican Olympic team. You know, he's going to be an exciting fighter. Just, yeah, that's about it. Next fight on the card I want to talk about, or next fight I want to talk about uh, for this week is uh, Joseph Parker is going to defend his title against uh, short notice uh, Raz, uh, uh, Kujun, uh, excuse me, Kujanu, I believe I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, Joseph Parker, another outing is, uh, you know, this title defense, clearly this is a replacement guy. What do you think happens in here? Uh, at this point, are we looking for, you know, short notice guy? Should Parker stop this kid? Yeah, I think... I think Parker can definitely stop him. Um, should he? Should he? Yeah, he should. He should hmm. stop him. You know, Koyanu's been stopped before in two rounds in the Boxino tournament. So if you're getting stopped at that level, I mean, you better get stopped by Parker. I mean, it is what it is. You know, Huey Fury and his team, it's pretty clear that they never wanted to go to New Zealand and they kind of messed around and screwed things up. So, you know, Koyanu was available and at low risk, so it is what it is. I think Parker's team really wants to fight Tony Bellew because uh, they could go over to the UK and make a ton of money, and they'd be the favorite in that fight. And obviously if they won, then it'd make like a Joshua fight massive. For sure. It's like a showcase. That's how I saw it. I was like, that would be the most ideal guy to go against. Uh, Now, again, uh, we talked about Bellew before, how he doesn't like boxing. He does box but doesn't like it. Uh, That, in particular because Parker's good, would probably win a decision but wouldn't necessarily kill him if I could see him going the distance there. I do like what that fight could mean for him. 
Um, yeah, man, I'm, uh, I agree with you 100%. Should be good stuff there from Parker. Uh, I'm going to move over to the uh, ESPN card. It's happening at the MGM. Yuri Gamboa against Robinson uh, Castellanos. Um, Castellanos is coming off. He's a solid guy. This is a guy. This yeah, kid, he he's, he's beaten. Uh, uh, he's got a victory over Rocky Juarez. He's beaten Ronnie Rios. Uh, he lost to Oscar Escondan. Uh, excuse me, Escondan. Uh, he got stopped there, but I think that's probably why he got this fight is because he got stopped there. But this dude's legit. Gamboa comes out and starts Gamboaing him with him. You know, go ahead and try to play that uh, 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 hit and go, hit and go, and then every once in a while try to hang out for an exchange, knowing that Gamboa ain't got the kind of chin. He can fool around and lose this fight. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, the thing about the Escondon fight is I think Castellanos was just dead at the weight. I mean, this fight is... Uh, 130, I believe, so I expect uh, Robinson to look a lot better not having to suck down so far in weight. And, you know, Gamboa didn't look that good in his last fight against uh, Rene Alvarado, who is a similar level to uh, Castellanos. So we'll see how if uh, Robinson is rejuvenated a bit at the weight, because if he is, you know, he might give Gamboa some trouble. Gamboa is like 35, so he he's past his best. You know, you never know when he's going to slip. Abraham Lopez versus Jesus uh, Rojas. How do you see that one going down? That's going to be another good fight. You know, Lopez. Um, I thought he lost to uh, Julian Ramirez in, uh, I believe it was June or July of last year, but nonetheless, he kept on. Going, you know, Rojas. He's really, he's really there to, he's there to win. You know, he's uh, kind of taking a bit of a step up. You know, he did fight Jorge Lara, and it was quite competitive before. You know, it got stopped on cuts and went to the decision. But uh, this is going to be an interesting fight. You know, maybe uh, Rojas will kind of come out of obscurity and uh, beat Lopez and I don't think Lopez is that big of a power guy even though he does have quite a few stoppages on his record I think he's going to be more of a boxer type against uh, good competition so I think this is going to be a pretty interesting fight I think it's kind of 50-50 to be honest Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and give the rest of the show to you to talk about some fights that maybe the people aren't paying attention to as much. Uh, going to go ahead and give the stream master his due. It's been a little while because we've been doing a lot of full fight cards and there's been a lot going on. But I want the stream master to give you some fights to pay attention to, maybe that you know of, maybe that you don't know that much of. Uh, stream master, give it to us. Well, yeah, Friday in Russia, you know, Magomed Karanov was originally supposed to fight Shane Mosley. Mosley pulled out with injury, but his replacement opponent, Virgilius Tapulionis, you know, it's a pretty good test for Kuranov, who's 10-0 and, and, you know, still a prospect, but Tapulionis is, you know, he's with Aegis Klimas, he's very experienced, you know, he's had some losses here and there, but he's a pressure fighter, he, he just keeps coming, so, you know, that's going to be a really good test for Kuranov, you know, who I'm not completely completely sold on you know he has a lot of talent and ability uh only 21 years old but 
he uh, can kind of get away with a lot against the guys he's been fighting. So Stoplionis clearly going to be the best win of his career. Um, yeah, on this whole card, there's a ton of prospects. Shavkat Rakimov from uh, former Tajikistan Olympian Southpaw, who, who's now in Russia. Rustam Nugayev is back. You probably remember him from ESPN fights. He's fighting a undefeated guy from Colombia, Dana Berrio. So we'll see. Maybe there could be an upset there. You know, I saw Nugayev's last fight, and he was getting outboxed by a really small Uzbek guy for quite a bit of the fight. Um, Yevgeny Chuprakov, you know, he's a, another undefeated prospect. He's kind of like kind of like a, a Gradovich or that type of fighter, I suppose. He's fighting Aiden Sonsona, who had a huge win in uh, Mexico when he knocked out uh, the undefeated Adrian Estrella. But then uh, after that fight, he didn't, he didn't fight for a year and a half. So he came back with a couple wins, and now he's against Chuprakov. I think if he's in form, he could get an upset in Russia there. Then there's... Uh, Mikhail Alexeyev, who he pretty much shot out Romero Duno, who then went on to a Golden Boy card and knocked out Chimpa Gonzalez and got signed to Golden Boy. So we'll see what his what uh, he's going to show. You know, he's another good pressure fighter. I mean, that's just one one card in Russia. Um, on Friday in uh, Reno, Nevada, there's Jose Carlos Ramirez. You know, the former Olympian. He hasn't stepped up his competition yet. You know, that's because he's a huge draw in kind of that that area of Fresno. And uh, on the same card, the pro debut of Gabriel Flores Jr., 17 years old, the youngest fighter top rank has ever signed. He was a silver medalist at the World Junior Championships back in 2015. So I'm pretty interested to see how he's going to fare. Because I'm, I'm not sure if he's ever even fought three-minute rounds in a fight before. You know, World Juniors is two-minute rounds, so that's going to be pretty interesting. And, yeah, that's just a portion of the action this weekend, but I will stop there. <laughs> okay, well, that's good stuff, good talk. Uh, thank you, everybody, who's been following the podcast, and uh, we're going to stay consistent with it. And um, we're glad that you guys like, you know, um, uh boxing action as we do we appreciate everybody who takes the time to listen to us and we hope you are um you get through your day a little bit brighter and getting to, to hear some boxing talk and of course listening to stream master we hope you guys know a little bit more because the boxing hipster really does put a lot of time into this so say goodbye to the people ryan peace out later everybody peace